0: Hello everyone, I am C.P. Leslie, the host of New Books in Historical Fiction, a channel in the New Books Network. Today I'm speaking with Danielle Teller about her debut novel, All the Ever Afters. It seems to me encouraging that our complex, ever-changing world has sparked a willingness to look beyond the simple tropes of the fairy tale and explore the hidden stories of characters previously regarded as wholly evil or wholly blameless. The trend started with Wicked, a reimagining of The Wizard of Oz. And it he continues here with Daniel Teller's look at the Cinderella story from the perspective of the wicked stepmother. What that means in practice, we'll discuss during the interview. But up front, I'd like to say that despite its fairy tale origins, this novel is much more historical fiction than historical fantasy. The story starts toward its end at the royal court. Suppers at the royal court have become entirely too oppressive. It isn't just that they are interminable or that we must adhere to the newest fashions, the face powder, our hair tortured into great bejeweled ram's horns, the silks with sleeves so tight that it is impossible to raise one's spoon to one's carefully tinctured lips. No, the worst is the gossip, the sinister buzz of wasps ready to slip their poisonous stingers into whatever tender flesh lies exposed. This evening I was ordered to sit next to the Earl of Bryston, a pompous half-wit who has rarely been to court. He presides over some godforsaken swamp in the north, and he seems to believe that his family's long history of loyalty to the crown gives him the right to opine on the behaviors of the royal family. "'My lady,' he said, pucking at cuffs so voluminous that they draped into his soup, "'I understand that your noble daughters are not yet wed?' "'No, my lord,' I answered as briefly as courtesy would allow. "'And yet I have heard that they once vied for the attention of Prince Henry himself.' "'The earl dabbed his crimson lips daintily. "'That they tried to alienate his affection from Princess Elfielder? "'You seem amused, my lord. "'He could not have mistaken the coldness in my response. "'I fear that much of what you have heard is not true.' "'Ah, well, it is an incredible tale.' "'He smiled broadly. "'The beautiful downtrodden maiden who ascends to the royal palace, "'the jealous stepsisters, the glass slipper that would not fit. "'My lord, I cannot credit such a tale.' Come, my lady. You know that the whole kingdom is enthralled by our radiant and benevolent princess. I have heard a great deal about you and your daughters. He looked at me knowingly. Compelling fiction often obscures the humble truth. And now, please join me in welcoming Daniel Teller. Hi, Danielle. I'm looking forward to talking with you today. Hi, I'm looking forward to it too. So before we get to your novel, um, please tell us a little bit about your life before you became a full-time novelist. Uh, I've interviewed several lawyers who transitioned to writing fiction mid-career, but I think you may be the first medical doctor. Uh, how did that happen? First the medicine and then the writing?
1: I, When I was a child, I was a real bookworm. I was the kind of kid who always had a book in front of my face as I walked around the world. Um, and I, And I really enjoyed writing and I Thought about becoming a writer, but I was scared. I didn't really know how to make that work financially, and I think I was also unsure whether uh, I had something to say. You know, I felt like I'm so young. I haven't really experienced very much in life. I don't. I don't know what I would write about. Um, so I chose a much safer option, which was to go to medical school. Uh, which I really enjoyed. And, you know, for almost 20 years, I was a physician scientist in academics. And I really loved that world. Uh, I loved my lab and um, my patients. Um, And actually, I don't think I would have ever become a writer if it weren't for the fact that I had to move, I, I was getting remarried, and I needed to move from Boston to California. And I couldn't find a job. That I thought would make me as happy as the job I was leaving, and it was actually my husband who, uh, the very first gift he had ever bought for me was a notebook and a pen, and he had written um, in a bunch of writing exercises, and he said, "You really, it's your true calling. You need to be a writer. You know, go away, fill in these exercises," Um, and he he talked me into changing. Uh, careers. He he said, you know, why not just remake yourself rather than taking a job, which you don't think will be fulfilling? Why don't you do the thing that you've always dreamed of? So he gets all the credit.
0: <laughs> well, that's a lovely story. Um, I haven't heard that particular one before, but that's great. So how did you get there from that point when you decided you were going to write uh, to being published?
1: Uh, it was a longish path. Uh, full of rejection and confusion, <laughs> uh, I. So my husband and I began by writing a book together, and this was really born out of our shared experience of divorce. We started talking about our our attitudes, which were um, a result of sort of society's attitudes surrounding marriage and divorce, and realized that nobody had written, uh, on this topic. And my husband was like, well, why don't we write a book? And I said, that's crazy. <laughs> why, why would we do that? Uh, but you know, the more we talked about it, the more we thought it would be a fun project. Um, so that was where we got our start or I got my start in writing. And, um, and then I began to write columns at first to just to try to get the word out about the book. Uh, and then because I enjoyed doing it, um, and all the while I was working on My novel, and it was a lot like dating. I found when it came to the novel, Uh, the agent that we had for our first book wasn't interested in the novel, and um, it took a couple of inquiries till I found somebody. Who was? And he was very passionate. He was just, I, he just said, "I just love this so much. It's such a perfect story." And then it was the same thing with trying to find a publisher. He knocked on a lot of doors, um, and a lot of people were like, "Yeah, just not my cup of tea um, until he found, you know someone who had the same very passionate reaction to it. And it just made me realize how subjective this whole thing is.
0: <laughs> fascinating. So, was was All the Ever Afters your first novel then? Yes, yeah. And where does the story come from? What made you decide to retell the Cinderella story?
1: Well, I became a stepmother. And I actually had another idea for a novel. In I had had it in my mind for many years. <clears throat> and it's, I'm now working on that um, manuscript. But uh, I became really fascinated in the subject of Stepmotherhood, because it wasn't until I became one myself that I realized what a rot relationship it is, just intrinsically. That having this new adult come into the life of a child who doesn't necessarily need a third parent. In many cases, you know, with it's a result of divorce, they already <clears throat> these children already have two loving, supportive parents and aren't really looking for a third. Um, and that parent comes in with new rules and new traditions and new ways of doing things. And I, I just, I realized, wow, this is really tough for a child. And that got me thinking about the way stepmothers are treated in fairy tales and how reviled they are. And I I thought, I wonder if that stems from the fact that it's, um, it's sort of a handicapped relationship from the beginning, you know. It's I I think if you can make it into a successful relationship, you're kind of beating the odds. And uh, Cinderella's stepmother, to my mind, is the most iconic of the stepmothers. And also, um, you know, a lot of these stepmothers in fairy tales are actually murderers. And I couldn't really get behind you know, trying to rehabilitate someone who actually wants to murder children. Um, so it was also just the best story for me to work with to try to make her a three-dimensional, relatable character.
0: You do an excellent job. Um, and not only with the characters, but your story itself is set in a medieval England that feels very real, um, as I mentioned in the introduction, although in a sense it's historical fantasy, it's really much more historical fiction because... You know, even though there aren't specific dates um, or even specific places, it's clear that you put quite a lot of um, work into recreating, say, England in the high Middle Ages, 13th, 14th century, something like that. How did you develop that setting and how much research did you need to do for it?
1: I began by reading books about medieval life, a life in the village and life in the castle, just to get background on um, how people live. It was really interesting to me uh, that there there are a lot of questions about how the lower classes lived, because records survive that document the lives of the wealthy, um, you know, the royal families and everybody else uh, in the upper echelons. But um, not much was written about or certainly by the peasants who are largely illiterate. And so uh, some of it is guesswork as to how people actually lived back then but yeah I so I started by reading these books and you know the internet is such a wonderful resource when I had specific questions I would look up you know I could go to YouTube and get a tour through a medieval manor and it's just amazing what's available now
0: yeah it really is um the pictures alone are worth um you know they save hours of time yes yeah so tell us about Agnes. Um, she is really in every sense your creation um, because the fairy tale presents her only as this sort of jealous and malicious woman who is out to ruin, you know, the beautiful, perfect Cinderella. Um, who is she for you as a character?
1: She, um, so I wanted her to be uh, as realistic and relatable as possible. So I, I think in the beginning, the important part was that she had to have integrity, which doesn't mean that she's a you know perfectly morally upright person. She does lie and she she does some uh, morally ambiguous things in the story. But I wanted her to be a, a person who has a real sort of core of integrity, um, and she's someone who is really interested in the truth. So it's not entirely a my side of the story kind of an account where she's trying to make excuses for herself because she knows that she wasn't the best stepmother. Um, but it, you know, what we hear is still filtered through her personality and her needs and, and so on. So it's, it, it, it is a biased account, but she is sincerely trying to get to the truth of the story. And what is her background? So she is a peasant. Um, She's born to a very uh, poor family and her mother dies when she's a young child. And because her father doesn't have enough resources to feed her and she can't really contribute to the family because she's, she's young and she has an older sister who's already sort of taking over for the female duties of the house. Um, she is sent to a, the manor house um, in order to become a servant and support herself in that way. And the reason that I conceived of the story that way was partly to echo the Cinderella story. So the stepmother has her own rags to riches narrative arc. Um, because I, I wanted to reference the fairy tale in that way. And then it, it's also because when she meets Cinderella, uh, in order for them not to connect, in order for her to be a, a really sort of suboptimal parent to Cinderella, I, she had to have a sort of life experience and view of the world that clashed with Cinderella's. And I thought that this, this way where she, she grows up as a very resourceful person but she sees the world as this harsh place uh, that's always presenting these obstacles that need to be overcome and that causes her to feel that like she needs to parent both her daughters and but also her stepdaughter in a way that prepares them for that world whereas cinderella grows up in a very different environment so they're a little mismatched in that way
0: right yes they are um so her family sends her to the manor house, as you say, to be a servant. And at first, life is even more unpleasant there in some ways than it was at home. Um, and yet this is, in effect, the transition that opens up a different life to her that makes the whole rest of the story possible because she doesn't simply remain a peasant the rest of her life. Um, so what is her position at the manor and how does she get from there to the next sort of stage in her life, which is Ellis Abbey?
1: So she is the uh, assistant to the laundress in, at the manor. One of the things I learned in my research that surprised me was that even the roles of servants were very restricted for women. So there were just so few options for women in, in that era. Um, but it, in a house like that, women wouldn't even work in the kitchen. Uh, they were goose girls or uh, laundry, uh, laundresses. Um, so she goes to the, the manor and she works for a cruel boss um, at, at the, at the manor. And then an opportunity arrives <clears throat> for her to move to the abbey to become what she thinks is going to be a lady's maid, which would be sort of the highest aspiration of a servant um, in that era. It turns out not to be quite as good as she had hoped, but it still ends up being a step up in her life.
0: And it's, you know. <laughs> My personal opinion is that the washing machine is the greatest achievement of civilization. <laughs> Even more than, you know, the, uh, well, central heating and central plumbing are pretty good too. But, you know, laundry was an enormous chore uh, when yeah. it was all done by hand. I, I think most people nowadays don't realize that it was just a mammoth enterprise that was pretty much endless, you know, as soon as you got one set of things cleaned, you had to start on the next. Yeah, Absolutely. So, um, when she goes to the Abbey, um, Agnes briefly toys with the idea of becoming a nun, and this is another interesting element of the story, that that door is closed to her. Um, can you explain that?
1: Yeah, so she, uh, she really falls in love with the Abbey and has a, a bit of a sort of adolescent crush on the abbess, who's this charismatic leader and um, she decides that this is her calling, that she wants to join the church. And uh, she has all the fervor that a teenager would have, you know, dreaming of this wonderful life. Um, But what she hasn't, isn't really calibrated uh, about is that she is of the lower classes, and it was a very class-conscious society, and a peasant girl like her could not, become a nun. It was really a position reserved for um, members of the uh, upper classes in England. And so when she realizes that the abbess doesn't even see her as fully human, you know, she values her for the work that she can do, but she doesn't, doesn't even consider her uh, as being on the same plane as the novices in, in the abbey, then she's really heartbroken because, Um, it had been her dream and it gets pulled away from her just because of the circumstances of her birth
0: Yes, I mean nuns needed a dowry basically in the same way that girls did to marry Mm -hmm. So so Agnes ends up taking care of Lady Winslock. Um, And this is actually a pleasant time in her life. She acquires a basic education. Um, things are going well. But of course, this is a novel and we're only like a quarter of the way through. So things are going to have to start going south pretty fast. <laughs> and in her case, she meets F- Vernon, would you say? I- I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Uh, who is he? What can you tell us about them? So Furman is a messenger, um, which
1: was also, I was also surprised to hear uh, what a dangerous job it was to be a messenger in the middle ages. The the phrase killing the messenger um, was quite literally true that messengers would be killed for delivering the messages that they did. And plus it was just travel was often dangerous um, in the lawless parts of the country. Uh, But so he, his, his background is that um, his, father and maybe his mother, we don't really hear about his mother, are Moors and um, fought for the British crown in what is now present-day Spain. Mm. And uh, his father converted to Christianity, and um, he was a really good and valued knight, and uh, he, when he died, he asked the prince to take his son back to England to take care of him, and so he ended up at the uh, abbey. The abbess is a relative of the royal families, and because he's foreign-born, and uh, maybe because he's dark-skinned, it's not really clear in the novel but um, certainly because he's a foreigner he's not considered to be of the class in the same class as English knights Uh, but he has all of the skills required to be a messenger so he's good with a sword and he knows how to read and write and he's good at riding horses and so she employs him as a messenger at the abbey
0: and he's something of a ladies man Yes, he is. He's very. He's a smooth operator.
1: He's very charming, and uh, he he loves women, and he um, takes advantage uh, of the younger women and their uh, naivete.
0: Specifically, Agnes. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So
1: he, uh, you know, we later discover that he also impregnated the servant who had um Agnes's position before Agnes uh, and then Agnes also gets into a relationship with him a, a consensual relationship but he he is older and she is very naive um and that is how she becomes a mother
0: Right, which brings us to the future ugly stepsisters, uh, Charlotte and Matilda. Um, And in fact, they are lovely girls, Um, not necessarily in looks, but in personality as you portray them. Uh, They're quite different in their styles, and their ugliness has understandable medical causes. Um, So give us a sketch of them as individuals, as well as their relationship with each other and with Agnes. And I don't know if you could say that they really have a relationship with their father, but he is around every so often uh, while they're small. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, Vernon uh, continues to travel a great deal, and he's really forced into taking care of uh, Agnes and her daughters, although Agnes ultimately becomes um, self-sufficient financially. Um, But her her so first daughter, Charlotte, is uh, a shy, very sensitive, um, and kind child. She's also dark-skinned like her father. She takes after her father uh, physically, so she has sort of a North African uh, physical traits. And for that reason, she is teased and bullied uh, as a child. Um, Matilda is the second born and she is a fierce little thing. She's really loyal to her sister. They're they're very loyal to one another. Um, She's passionate and self-confident and more extroverted than her older sister. And she is lighter skinned. So, you know, she's also biracial but she looks, she could be more white passing, I guess you would say. Um, But she uh, is afflicted with smallpox and is badly scarred as a result.
0: So how does Agnes come into contact with Ella, the future Cinderella? Uh, how does she become the wicked stepmother?
1: So um, she is ultimately after she's built this business for herself she she builds a, a brewery and does quite well for herself but um at the death of Fernan, who is her common law husband and not legally recognized as her husband, she loses everything because um, she couldn't inherit the property as a woman and as someone who was not born free. You know, she was born to a serf, and so she's forced to return to the manor uh, that basically owns her. Um, and when she gets there, she has just lost her baby. Um, but she's still to smallpox she's still lactating and so she she becomes the wet nurse to Ella who is a newborn infant and so that's how she comes into Ella's life and as Ella gets older she basically takes on the job of a nanny she's a, a nurse, nursemaid to Ella
0: Ella is not an entirely sympathetic character here um, so, and neither is her mother even more um a bit about them as personalities and how you turned them because they were caricatures too you know they, they were all good all saintly just as the, um, the stepmother is all wicked um, how did you develop them as characters?
1: For Ella who is the more developed of the two characters she I was, I was really trying to walk this line of making Agnes, a sympathetic character, so she couldn't be a total monster. But I also needed the story to conform to the fairy tale, so she she couldn't be this wonderful parent um, to to Ella. And so I was inspired, actually, by something that a colleague told me many years ago. She has a son who has obsessive-compulsive disorder, and her husband also has OCD. And she was telling me how it's really hard for her as a parent, um, to deal with some of the traits of her son, but that her husband finds it very easy. So, you know, if they go off to the zoo and her son has a wet sock and says, I have to go home immediately and get a dry sock that she'll, she'll just try to reason with him and be like, look, we can't take the whole family back home just because you have a wet sock. That's crazy. And her husband will say, well, no, of course he needs to have a dry sock. You know, a wet sock is completely intolerable. And it, it, it got me thinking that sometimes we are mismatched um, with our children. And it's not that the child is bad or the parent is bad, but it can be a strained relationship. And so I conceived of this idea of Ella not only having this different background where she grew up with plenty. So she, she didn't have the deprivations that the stepmother had. um, But also that she's maybe on the autism spectrum. You know, she has these traits that uh, Agnes finds quite off putting. She, she experiences Ella as being really foreign. Um, And I, I tried to drop hints that not all adults Uh, feel that way. You know, her tutor, Ella's tutor dotes on her as does her father, as does one of the servants. So, you know, other adults actually find her charming and really lovable. But Agnes, because they just don't click, um, she does not find her immediately lovable in that way. Um, So I wasn't trying to turn Ella into a bad person. I just was trying to make her into someone that was not immediately sort of appealing in her personality to the stepmother. And of course we see her through the stepmother's eyes. So I think that gives the reader, you you get her bad attitude toward Ella uh, more than you see Ella from other people's perspective. But, but my, my goal was not to turn Ella into a bad guy at all. It was just to make her um, into someone that would, who would be hard for the stepmother to, to click with, and then Ella's mother. Uh, I imagine her as bipolar with psychotic features. Um, I I think that it's important to have more mental illness in novels and films, and you know it's it's so common, and yet unless it's that subject of the uh, book, we rarely encounter um, mental illness. So I, I wanted to put it in there for that reason, and also just to. Um, uh it uh, show that Ella really did need a good parent, you know, to, to sort of up the moral ante um, for Agnes, that this poor child really does need a good, stable parent. And Agnes didn't come through as well as she could have.
0: No, although she comes through better, I think, than Ella's own mother. I mean, I didn't think Ella was a bad person in any sense. I I thought it was a very interesting portrayal. I picked up the hints of autism or, you know, being somewhere on that spectrum. And I I thought it made it more realistic. I'm, you know, it's... Um, I, I think I might have had a little trouble dealing with Ella too. Maybe not as much as Agnes cuz I'm an editor by profession so I'm sort of OCD, you know, just uh just by profession. But um yeah, I thought it I thought it made it more interesting that that Ella's mother is um as you say, she's on the edge of psychosis or certainly um Bipolar and Ella herself has some issues, and the father is pretty much an alcoholic. And you know, it's you wouldn't expect a perfect life, yes.
1: Yeah, and it, it's so much like life, I mean, these problems are so common, in real world.
0: right? Yeah, they really are. Um, and it's, I mean, in some ways, they're better diagnosed now, but I think, I mean, they may have been even more common in the past just because people didn't define it as mental illness, you know, unless it was something very obvious. I mean, I think people probably always recognize schizophrenia, for example, but things like mood disorders and um, obsessive-compulsive disorder and, you know, ADHD and things like that were just considered part of the spectrum of normal behavior.
1: That's right, and, and I think... Um- They saw it through the lens of the era and, uh, you know, for the mother who was bipolar, they had religious explanations for why she was the way she was.
0: Right, exactly.
1: They saw the world, yeah.
0: So normally, we would stop at this point in the book, um, because we don't want to give away spoilers. And of course, we don't want to give spoilers f- for your book either way. Um, either, but I do think that most of our listeners have at least heard the Cinderella story. <laughs> so. <laughs> And we're just getting to the part that they know, in effect. Um, So I want to ask you to reveal all the charming ways that you fit your story into the fairy tale, you know, the glass slippers and the um, fairy godmother and all of this kind of thing, because that's part of the fun of the book. But... uh, do talk a little bit about what kind of challenge this posed for you as a writer and how you came up with your own explanations. I'm assuming it was fun, but if not, you can talk about that too.
1: Yeah, it was, that was the most fun part of writing the book for me was trying to think of real world, believable explanations that could be misinterpreted as the fairy tale that we know. um, so I, uh, for instance, the, you know, the fairy godmother, um, had to be a very powerful person because she doesn't have magical abilities in, in my story but um, but she had to be somebody who could really, uh, influence Cinderella's life. And so just thinking about, you know, who were the most powerful women in med- medieval Europe and, um, that was, really, that was really fun for me and dealing with you know the glass slipper <laughs> because, of course, you couldn't actually walk in a real glass slipper, but um, trying to, to come up with ways that referenced the, the fairy tale without um, being too heavy-handed was, it, it was really fun.
0: So are there any favorite elements or characters from the novel that we haven't mentioned, uh, Prince Henry, for example, um, anything at all?
1: Um, I think that we've covered the, the basis that some the male characters tend to be a little bit more in the background. Um, and I did that deliberately. I really wanted this to be a book about the lives of women, which the fairy tale is too. I mean, it's very much focused on the, the women in the story. Um, so I, I deliberately put the men a bit more in into the background. Um, but no, this is just the story of, uh, of Agnes, as she says in the beginning, she only has her own story to tell. So. so what would you like readers to take away from all the ever afters? I think we have a tendency in life to categorize people pretty quickly, which maybe we need to do just for the sake of efficiency. But, you know, we tend to think of people as good or bad, like I'm a good person, um, but we don't really think good relative to what, like, what, what does that actually mean? And, and who are the bad people? Um, often when we get to know people that we've categorized in one way or another, we discover that it's a lot more complicated and nuanced than maybe we first thought. Um, so I guess if readers came away with anything, it's just a reminder that there's always more to the story than you can see on the surface.
0: And what about you? You said you're working on another novel now that was the one you, another one that you wanted to do. Can you tell us anything about that?
1: Sure. Um, so this one is very different. It's not, uh, hit, well, it's only historical in that it's set in 2003. Uh, three, so not very old. Um, and it was inspired by the poem by um, T.S. Eliot, the love song of jail for proof rock. And it's, a story of an older woman and her daughter-in-law and the older woman has always lived her life according to strict rules, sort of like the narrator in the love song of J Alfred Prufrock. She has this very comfortable life that she has been afraid of disrupting. And so she has not been a big risk taker. Um, And then her uh, daughter-in-law makes very different choices. She decides to leave her marriage to be with another woman. And, um, The reason it's set in 2003 in Toronto is that was the summer of the big blackout, the northeast of the U.S. and part of Canada. We had that huge blackout. And one of the things um, that I found really interesting was, of course, blackouts can go many different ways. Oftentimes, there's looting and rioting. But in Toronto, a number of people told me that it was almost magical that everybody was out in the streets and having barbecues and getting to know their neighbors and that they really felt a sense of community um, that, on that day. And so it's an epiphany for the, the older woman who's the stand-in for proof Rock that she realizes that maybe she didn't need to live her life in fear
0: the way that she has that sounds great i can't feature it on this interview program but i'll be looking for the book it sounds like a great story <laughs> yeah. thank you so much for sharing your time with us today daniel i've really enjoyed talking with you yeah thank you that was really fun and thank you for listening to our podcast once again i'm cp leslie the host of new books in historical fiction and today I've been talking with Danielle Teller about her debut novel, All the Ever Afters, released in May 2018. You can find out more about her at www.danielteller.com. Like us on Facebook, search for NB Historical Fiction, and follow us on Twitter at NewBooks Histfic. If you do, you'll see each time we post a new interview. You can also find out more about me, my website, and my books at blog.cplesley.com, where I upload expanded posts about the interviews and in general discuss history, historical fiction, and the rapidly changing publishing industry. Goodbye until my next conversation about historical fiction on the New Books Network.